Welcome to C-Suite Radio. All right. Brett Allen here chatting with Yardley Smith and we're talking about many things today. We have a film that is currently out, Who Are You People? And then her award-winning podcast, uh, Small Town Dicks, which has a brand new season launching in April. And of course, the voice of Lisa Simpson from The Simpsons. I have a very pensive eight-year-old who is on the other side here <laughs> who knows that I'm talking to you uh, and he's just on high alert. Um, so oh, sweet. Yes. Um, but let's get going here. Thanks for your time. I know you're very busy, but I appreciate you spending a little bit of it with us today. I'm delighted. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Well, we'll start with the podcast because this is so much fun. Again, as I mentioned, it covers real crime in small town USA across the country. It's hosted by yourself and the twin detectives that I love, Dan and Dave. And then yes. retired cold case investigator Paul Holes, which is known for cracking the infamous Golden State killer case. And being a former resident of the Bay Area, this was huge for a very long yeah. time. So let's talk about the podcast. You have another season coming out. And without spoiling anything, what can you share? What can people expect? Um, well, we have some great cases. We've actually been able, you know, for a couple of seasons, we actually went even to Australia, we went to Scotland, Ireland. Um, we and we were able to do that because we have these remote kits. So we can send you all the equipment that we record with here okay. in the United States. And that way, you sound like you're in the room with us. You know, podcast um, listeners now are super sophisticated, you can no longer just do a podcast on your iPhone. Right. So, uh, you know, you better you better bring the goods. Um, so anyway, but this, you know, this coming season, which launches April 21st, is just more stories told by the detectives who investigated them. Um, we actually have several cases from Paul Holes himself, a couple from uh, Dan and Dave, respectively, which is always great. You know, it's great to have for for the bulk of our podcast now, just because these guys aren't that old. We've had to branch out and get cases from other people. And also it brings a great kind of um, worldview of other places in the country and not to mention across the world. And so, uh, but to have them on the mic, to be primary on the mic is always a treat. I love that. A couple things come to mind. Being a podcaster who has ventured into the video side over the last year or two, I love the fact that you take it so seriously. I think my listeners and viewers will appreciate the fact that you have to really put effort into it. And the fact that you're able to just drop, send, drop ship kits to people, I think is huge. That obviously is something that's important to you who is part of this show, but also front facing, so to speak, public figure. I know it's a polarizing term, but like putting your brand on it, <laughs> no. basically. Yeah, it's true. And actually, when the podcast started, I remember thinking I, I want it to be sound as clean and polished as This American Life, which 
uh, sort of the original podcast. I mean, it, before podcasts were such a a massive um, really way to tell stories, this American life kind of for me set the gold standard in terms of editing. And so we actually do a lot of editing on small town dicks only because we're dealing with, you know, we're dealing with people who aren't uh, professional storytellers, even when they have great stories. Mm -hmm. And so if you consider, and you'll know this, Brett, like even if somebody is, and by the way, bravo for you for filming your podcast, because that's the next Apparently that's all the chatter. Like people are going, how do I film my podcast? Yeah, it's oh, it's a hot like, topic right now amongst podcasters. It's, and it's huge and that you've, you're already doing it. You're way ahead of the game. Um, but when you consider, even if somebody is listening to your podcast on YouTube, but they're doing something else, maybe they're cooking, maybe they're, you know, I don't know, knitting, doing something um, where they're still in the room with you, they're doing something else is the point. So if you consider that nobody is just listening to your podcast, they're all driving, walking, walking the dog, maybe even stopping and starting. It's super important that they be able to follow the story and that it be engaging enough that if they do have to stop and start, they want to come back to you. Yes. And so, yeah, we take it super seriously. That's really cool. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy as a content creator because <laughs> not to say anything negative about it, but I, you all were doing this long before the pandemic, but I think during the pandemic, a lot of people were stuck at home and it was like, there was like three things, you know, it was like, can I do a podcast? Can I do a book? Start a YouTube it's channel. Great. Yeah. It was insane. Like it was like this boom of content creation and it was just so much going on. The regret I have personally, and you may or may not, but when I, when I was doing this originally and filming it, I didn't think too far ahead about picture quality, clarity, camera, lighting. And now it's very important now that we're doing these types of interviews or maybe these press outlet events that we do for network, because it's like, you want to put your best foot forward. And likewise, when I started I was like, I want to sound like Guy Ross on NPR. How can I do that? <laughs> sure. Well, I can't afford I a, a, a $5,000 microphone yet, <laughs> but what can I do to get as close as possible? And then you just slowly begin to upgrade and get to a place where you're, as you said, you want people to return, you know, because people, if you don't catch people right away, you know, you're going to lose them instantly. And true crime is just so hot right now even more so with all these crazy cases going on. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, and, 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 and so on the one hand, if you're part of the most popular genre in a particular medium, in this case, in this case, podcasting, like true crime is far and away, you know, leagues above any other um, category of podcasting. But so on the one hand, you might get a little bit of an extra jump because people are like, Oh, new true crime. Those of us who consume true crime, there's never enough. Right. Um, but at the same time, now you're tasked with really standing out in a massive ocean of content. And I think podcasting in general, that's often true. Like, how do you find your audience? And when people have been on panels and people say, what's the secret? I would say the secret is you got to play the long game and you better do something that you love. Right. Because otherwise you'll be playing the long game going, shit, where's my 
Like, where's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Right. Like, where I don't see it. It's not, not there. Even at the hump, right. Right. Yeah. Right. No, so, I, it's uh, wow. There has to be passion from the creator. And I actually think the audience can really feel that authenticity and or the lack thereof. Yes. And one of the things that I found fascinating early on is we would talk to celebrities or whatnot that had shows. The, the message that you just mentioned was the same. Like there might be a percentage of people who will watch or listen because of who somebody might be, not just you specifically, but just in general, maybe they're on a show, but then they realize, man, this is like a lot of work. And sometimes the, the numbers don't like, unless you're like a Joe Rogan or somebody who just has like a massive following and you get like some huge deal, it's a lot of work and you have to play the long game. I think that's the biggest message. Even when people hit me up on social media they go, what is the secret to your success of getting people, human beings that are amazing, you, others? I'm like, you just got to work hard and do your best, be kind. I think that's the secret to this business entertainment in general, right? You wouldn't I, be where I you're totally at. I totally agree. Right. I think, you know, and to your point about, you know, the Joe Rogans and the Conan O'Briens, I think they literally just built a new studio for Conan and it has more yeah. cameras and they have obviously editors who can cut all those pieces together. And most of us don't have that. So our podcast, you know, we're independently owned and operated, which as you are, it is, it's, you know, it's a heavy lift, but again, if you love it, it feels worth it. So I'm really proud of our team. They work enormously hard and, and uh, I'm really grateful to all the detectives who have agreed to sit down with us. You know, law enforcement, they're a squirrely bunch. They are. They don't, uh, their job makes them trust no one. Yeah. So, to, <laughs> so you true. know, and there's no way that they would sit down, even if it was just me, even though, you know, as you say, I'm like the forward facing person of the podcast. They wouldn't talk to me. They wouldn't just talk to me. They it's because we have Dan and Dave and right. now Paul where they feel like, okay, okay, I get it. You guys are, you understand what the job requires. And, um, you know, we're really, we always say to them when they say, well, what kind of a case we're like, we want the case that you're most proud of. That's cool. And so it doesn't have to be the biggest case that was ever solved in their small town or the one that got the most publicity or, and like, what was the case that made you go, oh, wow, this is why I do what I do. This is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And this is where that whole experience of meeting people on their worst day and trying to put the train back on the tracks, That's this is where that lives in me. And I think that that kind of authenticity from those men and women we've spoken to never gets old. Yes, they are a squirrely bunch. We recently have had a couple <laughs> yes. things that we've done through NBC that like this true crime. Dick Wolf is now doing Robert Wan. Robert Wan. He's got a, he's, I, I watched that one. Actually, Blood and Money. And yeah. Yes, yes. Got a new show. Yeah, yeah. Dick we Wolf. just, can't because keep that of our, guy down. Yeah. <laughs> because of our connection with the network and other things that we've done, they reached out and said, are you interested and maybe covering some true crime type things that it is pop culture 
like per se as far as being on television but it's it's true crime you know we're actually taking these stories you know the murder of robert wone it was like three people in a room this guy dies goes missing nobody knows anything and it is still a cold case today and this show is hopefully giving voices to the victims to the families who feel like they did their best but there was no justice i think that's so fascinating that you have ventured out from what people know you from even your television and film credits, which I do want to talk about. You had a movie recently released. I could talk to you about podcasting all day. Maybe we'll get you back one of these days when we have more time. Sure, I sure. feel like we could talk shop for hours about this. Um, we could, we might yes. be the only ones interested, but maybe, still, I don't know. I mean, I have a pretty it. strong podcasting following from, from just the old audio days. And I think the general populace, as we wrap that part would say, I think it's great that you get what it takes and the office ladies too. They know they have that show. I think during the pandemic, when they were like in closets trying to still do the show, it was amazing. The amount of critique they received from just podcasters in general, you need to do this. You need to do that. And they're like, we get it. And but we have an engineer who knows and we're doing the best that we can because everything was yeah. really just on Zoom at that point. There was no in-person stuff. Yeah. And, and now, you know, I think you used, like I was saying, you used to be able to do, record a whole podcast just on Zoom with no microphones. Yeah. Um, and your listeners now are much more sophisticated than that. And they're like, the quality isn't good enough, even if they can't specifically name the thing that feels like, meh, this isn't quite for me, you know? So yeah, we've, we've had to continue to up our game as the audience demands. And I'm, I'm here for it. You know, I believe in that. I believe in that kind of evolution. I think it makes us all better. Yeah. Fantastic. It's great. Current episodes are, you have a website, which we'll link, but also current seasons are available. And then the new episodes drop next month. The movie was a lot of fun. I know you've done a lot of television, you've done some film, but my question would be a project like that. What attracts you to go? I want to be on screen versus just doing what you do, voicing Lisa and other things that you've done in in your career. Sure. I, you know, I actually never wanted to do voiceover. That was, I had like a big plan for world domination and voiceover was not a part of it. Interesting. So the Simpsons, I got the Simpsons in 1987 when they were the little bumpers on the Tracy Ullman show. Mm. And I got that job because I had done a play, a small a play in a tiny theater here in Los Angeles that I would say, I think like 17 people saw that play. But one of them a year later would be casting the Simpsons on the Tracy Ullman show. And wow. she said, I know who should play Lisa Simpson. And so never on like, do the thing that you love and give it everything you have. I always say like, whether or not I have five minutes on screen or I'm, I'm the lead, my job is the same. The day that I decide that those five minutes are less important and require less of my effort than being the lead is the day that I should like get out of the business. Wow. Because the expectation that I have agreed to bring everything I have to bring all I have to bear doesn't diminish just because they're like, well, Yardley, you got five minutes today. You know, it's my job is the same. So 
Very um, cool. But I still never wanted to do voiceover. I was like, I don't give a shit about voiceover. I'm going to, you know, I want to be a big star. I want to be like the big TV, big movie star. And um, thank God also, though, I was the actor who rarely said no to an audition. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'll go. All right, let's do it. And then I remember because it was such an unusual format doing these little bumpers um, on the Tracy Ullman show at, before each commercial break. So her show is a sketch comedy show that was an hour long on Fox, one of the early Fox um, entertainment shows. And I remember getting the job and going, great. The job is what? We're doing what? We're basically <laughs> telling a whole story in like a minute, a minute and 20 seconds. So I, it, I really kind of backed into it. I fell into the honeypot un unknowingly. Um, so I, you know, when I was offered the part in Who Are You People?, I hadn't, I haven't done as much on camera stuff as I would have liked in the last 20 years, not by choice. Um, you know, the business has changed a lot for when I first started out in the eighties, movie stars wouldn't touch television with a 40 foot pole. Mm -mm. No and now interest. they're like, oh yeah, dude, I want to do a limited series, 12 episodes. I only have to work three months, you know, and then I can go off and do other things. It really changed the game. And so, you know, and other things like when I was 20, I literally looked like I was 12. That was a huge plus for my career. So the first 12 years, things were really, I took off like a rocket. And then I just, even though I looked really young, I, I didn't, I didn't look that young. I felt like, oh, well, now I've been married and divorced once. I've been in the business at that point. By the time I was 30, like 12 years already, 13 years now there's a little bit like, oh, there's something in the eyes. You've seen too much. <laughs> so you, if you put me next to a 15-year-old, they're like, yeah, no, can't pass. Um, so, you know, I had to sort of, I had to adapt. And I didn't do it well. And I didn't do it quickly. Uh, I didn't want to be a multi-hyphenate. I still had The Simpsons, thank God, really best job in the world. But I didn't want to be like actor- writer, director, producer. I was like, I don't want to do that. I'm an actor. I want to just be that. And you really couldn't. Wow. So when I started Paperclip almost 10 years ago with my business partner, longtime business partner, Ben Cornwell, yes, it was a very late pivot for me. Okay. And we were hired as just producers on um, Who Are You People? And I always ask, like, is there a part for me in there? So I was like, <laughs> Hello? they were like, sure, Yardley, sure. Sure, <laughs> so we'll put happy. you as the barista, maybe. No, we've got right? something better for I you. I mean, listen, I played the bartender in, in the first movie we produced at Paperclip called All Square, starring Michael Kelly and Pamela Adlon. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll be the bartender. Give me a tattoo. Let's do it. Rock you know, I'm on. not proud. So... And so, and actually the original Sarah, the role I play in Who Are You People was originally written as uh, Devin Sawa's sister. Okay. But he's quite a bit younger than I am. I'm 58. I think Devin's got to be in his early forties now. Um, and so they made, made me his cousin. I'm like, cool, whatever. Sign me up. That's so, so I cool. was grateful. Yeah. Very fun. Well, two shows that I remember you from watching Prior to, well, obviously Trace Yoma, but Herman's Head was always a big yes. hit. And Brothers. Those two shows, I think, ah. were so good. <laughs> but Herman's Head was interesting because it was a different type of show that was on. And that was a big part of your career. 
And I believe that was, you'd already started The Simpsons at that point, correct? And then you were like, okay, so now we get to see Yardley on screen versus just voicing the character. Not one diminishing the other, but that was a really funny show and a great cast. Herman's Head was so smart. It was so fun. It was a great cast. We were only on for three seasons. People always ask, like, will there be a reunion? I'm like, nah. You know, in television, the magic number is five seasons. That means you've had 100 episodes. That means they're willing to sell it into syndication. It's always about the bottom line. So, and, and actually the year that Herman's Head went from pilot to series is the year that The Simpsons went from the Tracy Ullman show to its own breakout series, half hour episodes. Yes. And so, uh, and I, and actually, you know, you mentioned brothers that was like in the heyday, the first 12, 13 years of my career when I worked nonstop and when, and I, and when I did brothers, I was 22, 23 and I was playing what 14 year old. Yeah. So, you know, that was, when things it was just sort of like all pistons were firing and then and Herman's head was sort of the beginning of oh I'm not getting as many on camera jobs as I jobs as I used to after that I played the crabby secretary on Dharma and Greg I played Greg's secretary and that was so fun um and then after that it was like oh shit now sort of the the business shifting me getting older, a whole confluence of things, I think it started to catch up and I just wasn't getting the jobs. And I was like, Oh, God, now what? Like, now what? I honestly didn't know. Like, I don't know what to do. I didn't know how to gracefully pivot from that. And so I think it that really, um, it sort of hamstrung me because I was, I didn't know how to be more nimble. Um, you know, no regrets, but I remember at the time I was really confused by it. Yeah. Hollywood can be a fickled fellow. It's just so different (laughs) than I think what most people are used to. And, and to be frank, like when I started doing this and we began to gain more traction and success, thankfully, that was one of the things I think that drove me and fascinated me was the fact that what people see is one thing. And what happens is really something different. And I'm not even talking like in the last five years with everything that's taken place with me too. And just the restructuring of Hollywood literally, but even before that, where it's like, it's just funny story real quick. I had Paige Davis on from trading spaces and she was telling me after that show ended she would get other auditions and the sides would be looking for a Paige Davis type. I've been there. Brett, okay, that has so happened have... to me. We're okay. looking for a Yardley Smith type. I'm like, I'm right here. It's yeah, like, hello. Yeah, we don't want you. We don't want actual Yardley Smith. <laughs> we just want somebody who's sort of like you. I'm like, That's so weird. It's, it's like, it doesn't make sense I to me, like but I don't get it. Only in Hollywood, right? Only in Hollywood would you actually have a job description describing somebody who can actually fill the job but that's not what you're looking that for. that has to be like, weird if you get something it's just like almost weird. in a meta way it's like <laughs> yes i actually have a great um another great story like that i remember it was still i was still sort of in my heyday i used to get a lot of i used to get a pilot every pilot season and pilot season i think is not quite as 
a, a once in a year time for anybody who doesn't know, you know, they hold all the auditions, they sort of decide what is going to go to series, but first they shoot all these pilots. And it was one time a year. Yeah. It was in the winter. And the dream was, can I get the pilot? And then hopefully, obviously, the pilot goes to series, which didn't happen very often. So I used to do a ton of those. And you had to get, loop through various hoops, first read for the casting director, then one set of producers, then another set of producers, then the big tuna, who which was the network, who somehow I felt like had all been coached not to laugh, especially if you were doing auditioning for like a sitcom which seems totally counterintuitive, but that's another story. Um, but I remember being at Fox, doing The Simpsons, still like was doing, had The Simpsons already. And there was, but the Tracy Allman show had finished and there was an actor who had been a regular on the Tracy Allman show. And in this hallway, this executive hallway, they had huge framed photographs of casts from Fox shows, right? Mm. So they had, a huge framed photo of the Tracy Allman cast. And this man who had been on Tracy Allman, it wasn't Dan Castellaneta's, another guy, sitting under that photo where he's in the photo going to read four Fox exec executives who he just worked for for the last three years. You're wow. like, how effed up is that? Like, it's that crazy. is so meta. That is so like, I'm sorry, what? But I've also, you know, I finished Dharma and Greg, and then I, I after that show finished, I had to read again for other parts for Chuck Lorre, for instance, who was the creator of Dharma and Greg. And so there are no gimmies in no. showbiz. It's interesting, the pilot season <laughs> topic. Yeah, it's crazy. There was a documentary that came out, I don't know, it's been a while, called Pilot Season. I don't know what network was on, but it, it essentially followed the lives of four or five families with small children. They go to wow. LA. They there's like, I don't know if it's still the same now, but essentially there's a housing unit somewhere in the Valley where all oh, these people yes. come and they stay. Okay. And it tracked them auditioning for all at that time. Disney was hot. You know, the Disney channel was hot. So they're doing all these things and it shows just the all the hoops these kids go through in hopes to be on some hit show and it's crazy the money that they spend to get to this place it's insane and it's like it's true you find yourself it, rooting for them but then you feel bad because they usually don't get very far it's heartbreaking yeah. and i've actually so i when i was married the first time we were we decided to put on an addition on our house like and so they were like it's way better if you, you aren't here while this is being done and it was going to be three months or something so we moved to that apartment complex which is you can rent sort of month to month and it's okay. fully furnished right it's the oakwood apartments i don't oakwood, know if they're yeah, still called that it. anymore yeah so we were there during pilot season oh, and boy. it's like lord of the flies <laughs> and you saw all the, so it was this combination of men, mostly men who had just been separated from their wives and families living, you know, like, oh shit, how long am I going to be here in those apartments? And these families who had bet everything on bringing their kid out to hopefully get a television show and be, you know, become a megastar. And it was, I mean, 
you're right. Your heart just broke. You just thought, dude, I mean, I really, you admire their ambition, their drive, but you just, you just didn't want anybody to overpromise and underdeliver to these families who had put so much into this dream that has zero guarantees. And then, cause even maybe they get the pilot and then the show doesn't go. Yeah. That's I mean, happened to several multiple, people. Yes. Multiple ways for those kids to sort of drop to their knees and go, Oh God. Funny so, story. Yeah, I know exactly. That. I've seen that scenario. Yes. Funny story. We spoke with Don Stark from that 70s show who made a cameo or two in the new one for Netflix. And he told a similar story where he was, on a Fox yeah. show, Time Cop, I think. And it was the movie trying okay, to yeah. be on television. They filmed the pilot. They made it all the way to the upfronts for Fox. The posters are up. The hours before they get to the upfronts, they find out that the show has not been picked up. They're at the oh. upfronts with the posters. The cast is there. They all get a phone call at that point. I don't know. It was no before cell phones. I don't know how they got notified, but they had to just be there. And then all of a sudden they find out your upfront has been canceled for today. And they're all, the entire cast is there. It's insane. What a world you live in. I admire it from a distance. I like talking to you. I love hearing the stories, but man, it's insane. The podcast, of course, small town dicks next month, brand new season, your film, and of course, The Simpsons, which is in its one millionth season now. You guys have outlasted yes. Bonanza, Grey's Anatomy, everybody. everybody. All of them. And and for a while, so there were a few benchmarks. You know, Ozzy and Harriet, I think, had the most episodes because they were on, I think, five days a week. We passed, they had something like 400 episodes. We long passed them because we're into 800s now. Bonanza and Gunsmoke had the most seasons at, I think, 21. We're obviously past them because we're just starting to record season 35. So I can't say enough about what a gift that job has been, how much I love Lisa Simpson, like genuinely love her. Um, I really, as I said, I just I landed in the honeypot, even if I sort of went feet first. I felt I really lucked out. Here's, well, here, Brett, here's my cat, Zipper. Zipper. Can't have a Zoom without Zipper. Very Zipper. good. Say hi to the people. Oh, Zipper. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, my dress. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> it's it's just been an honor chatting with you. It's been something we've been wanting to do and looking to do for a very long time. And I'm thankful that the opportunity presented itself. I appreciate you so much. It's just been a fun, <laughs> best day in a long time thank you so much thank you it was such a pleasure i really enjoyed it myself likewise